Welcome to Geeks and Jocks Podcast. Welcome back to Geeks and Jocks. This is Brian Sullivan. Hope you listeners are enjoying enjoying uh, this past week. Or maybe you haven't. Recording uh, February 16th, 2021. Before I get into this episode, this podcast is on Anchor.fm, but it is also on Spotify, Radio Public, Google Podcasts, and Breaker, any of those places. So, got a bit to talk about, talk about Jackass, Happy Gilmore, Andrew Cuomo, The Simpsons, and their video games, and much more for this episode. So, I'm going to actually divert a little bit from that to talk, uh, talk about, talk about bluegrass for a second and talk about a person that I got to know long before he, he started being big in the bluegrass scene. Unfortunately, it, you know, it bothers me to talk about it a little bit because he is—he just passed away, very, very young. And this is one of the people that I could say was uh, was really a, a good friend of mine. And his name is Aaron Foster. Passed away uh, about a week ago, almost a week ago, and so. Um, try to keep my composure about it just I'm just I'm getting tired of seeing people pass away and having to hear this stuff it but this for me you know it it it, it basically was a goddamn gut punch huge goddamn gut punch because this is a guy that I thought I figured would be around for another 40 to to 50 years and from this from what from what happened was he had a he had some issues with like with his back and like a pinched nerve and was prescribed med- medicine and there hasn't been an official um, autopsy but from what it sounded like, um, according to the GoFundMe and people that talked about it, um, an allergic reaction potentially to the medicine, and unfortunately going the way of you know someone like a Bruce Lee. Bruce Lee had that sort of thing um, in '73, where uh, he, where he had like an allergic reaction to medicine. Because he had issues as well, but this was this was more like headaches, and so he took medicine. And I think his brain swelled, uh, Bruce Lee. And but to hear this from regarding my friend, you know, it was very much. It was in a way similar to like how like like uh, broadcaster Rich Eisen felt when uh, when Stuart Scott passed away back in 2015. Like it just, like, how do you deal with that sort of shock? And the thing that's real nice is people have 
you know, gone on to talk, you know, stories about, you know, how great of a person, how great of a person he was, how great he was for, you know, being around the music, and just, just, just basically like a teddy bear in a way, you know, big guy, but, but like a teddy bear, like, I can't ever really think of any moments where he was ever really mad or anything of that matter and the thing was I got to know him through high school we went to the same high school and we I didn't really get to know him until probably like 8th grade ninth grade like 05, 06 and like I'm, I'll talk a couple things that I remember that stick in my head as far as talking about Aaron the first thing that comes to my mind is it's summer, 2005, and <laughs> so he had a girlfriend, and they broke it off. <laughs> Man, I don't know how it gets to this, but this girl starts stalking him, and that's what we—that's what we heard. And then that's—that's that's the first thing that I remember, <laughs> kind of fondly. It's like. Now looking, now looking back, it's like, who would want to stalk a guy like him? That, like, it just, I mean, the, there has to be like a tremendous amount of respect for the guy now, and just, <laughs> I don't know how you're supposed to end that kind of story. <laughs> um, but the thing that that probably will stick in my mind, and I kind of take it a little bit for granted about it, but 2006, um, he was, he was our high school's water boy for the varsity football, and that year, uh, well, that summer, to be exact, we had, we had, like, a really bad flood that, that hurt, you know, a lot of New York State, like, really, really hurt it, and, I mean, there were lots of issues, and, I mean, there were still some issues heading into the fall, like, regarding, like, roads, and, like, even, like, even, like, places, you know, fields, and, you know, you know, natural grass, and we had a, in October, we had our rivalry game on our rival's turf, and, this rival school we had uh, eight years ago, eight seven eight years ago, they redid their field long after we graduated, and it is it is a beautiful field, like one of the nicest fields I've seen. You know, as far as like being a local person within like a twenty thirty mile range, uh, really nice. Got a big scoreboard. It's like it's very fancy, like. I mean, unfortunately, it hasn't really been used to its full potential. But long before that, you know, in our time, <laughs> uh, we had to be on the, this field that was really poorly maintained. Like, like no side had good footing, and it was muddy as hell. And you know, one of the things I kind of wish I kept was a uh, kind of wish I could have kept or cut out was like a paper of uh, 
of girl of the girls' soccer, our girls' soccer team against their our rival soccer team, uh, just because it, it would have shown like good proof of why the field was bad. It was used constantly throughout the year, and well, throughout that fall, throughout the fall, and just just a mess. So it got pushed back from Friday night to Saturday night. And I believe he had like music stuff that he had to deal with, like mu- like a music festival, if I remember correctly. So he he couldn't do any waterboarding stuff. So so I ju- I took I took a chance at that opportunity and was the water boy for the last couple games of the season and for the next season as well. And one of the things I'll also say with like the 07 team that we had, our 2007 team, and I could say at least Waterboyd for for him because he was part of the uh, uh, varsity team when our when the, when they made the playoffs. So at least I could say I did I did Waterboy for him. <laughs> uh, you know, not a whole lot really. I mean, as far as like school goes, I mean we. I mean, we had we had some classes together. Uh, we uh, we always were part of a group together. You know, consisting kind of like a geekier side a bit. You know, we're not we're you know not fully jocks or anything like that. But we weren't complete geeks either. I mean, a number of us were part of like stuff like drama club and you know. We're just normal people that you know, you know, play video games, read books, did our own things, and we all had something that made it. We all had something unique that made us tick. So yeah, it was. I think really the only time I was ever, I was ever disappointed with Aaron, was when he quit football our senior year. I remember being a little frustrated with him because he quit. And, I mean, there were some people I was a little frustrated that quit football. But it it did bother me a little bit because it's like, man. But looking back, and even then, I don't blame him for quitting. I mean, our team in 09 was just really bad. And you know there was a couple coaches. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna rat out their names, but two of them were god awful. Especially this one tub of lard that I don't think knows a damn thing about football, and he's a freaking idiot at the same time too. So, but I don't, but I don't blame Aaron for quitting. I mean, it also gave him the opportunity to. Um, to, to focus more on doing music, focus more on stuff that will prove impo- to be important for him. Actually, I was just thinking a couple other football things. I don't think I ever really gave him crap for being a Packers fan. <laughs> I think likewise, he didn't give me crap for being a Giants fan. Although I could say we, I had the last laugh when it came to Brett Favre throwing his last pass as a Packer being an interception 
And that's why the Giants went on to go to the Super Bowl and beat New England. <laughs> uh, I never really gave him crap. You know, he, you know, the only other stuff I can really think of, he's, he was a big Seinfeld fan. I believe his family was big Seinfeld fans. Uh, I'm trying to think of other stuff that I could think of. Not much else, really. Uh, Played guitar for, like, talent show. Trying to think what else, really. Because the the only other thing I have left that I can remember, that that I can truly remember, uh, is, is our senior picnic. So we we go to the state park, the whole 2010 class, and uh, it will stick in my mind probably for the rest, probably for the rest of my life, and probably the last thing I'll truly remember Aaron for. And we both brought our fishing poles. We were we were some of the people that went fishing, and the thing that I that I'll remember with it is. He, he, he got one of the rental boats, and what better way than to celebrate celebrate our last weeks of school, or at least that last full week? Rental boat, girl in the boat, and fishing. <laughs> That's what I'll remember him trying to do. Although I think I caught more fish than he did. I think I beat him by like one or two fish. I think I caught like four, three or four, and I think he caught like two. That's what I remember. It wasn't exactly a warm day either. It was also kind of kind of cloudy out. Maybe a little muggy, even though it wasn't like super, super hot or anything like that. But that's really the last thing... I'll truly remember him for and then for the last 10 years he's been living down in 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 East Tennessee that's where he went to college was part of several bands was part of his own band was doing all this all this fun stuff you know that would that would really resonate with like with southern people and just you know country music in general and the amount of support that has been given to him lately has been through the roof. Really through the roof. I mean, the fact that, I don't know, it, at, at the moment there's a GoFundMe at the time of this recording. If it hasn't reached its $20,000 goal, it's very close. But he is going to be transported from Tennessee to New York. And where, whenever that will happen, he'll he'll get he'll get a service, and people can say their final goodbyes. Like the like the reactions I've seen from a lot of people, you know, truly, truly saddening, and just just downright depressing. Like I don't like it. Just really is. It really is a huge shock. In a devastation, you know, you know, thinking a little bit of 
something a little bit about a few weeks ago, talking about uh, my oldest sister passing away from cancer. I mean, that was that was going to be expected, unfortunately, and you don't you don't want to see it happen. But there's there's a timetable for uh, you know if the cancer isn't treatable. But this, like, this is I mean, it's it. It's still sad, but it's just very unfortunate. Very, very unfortunate that, you know, the the supposed supposed cause of death being an allergic reaction to medicine. That's just, it's upsetting me. It's really upsetting me. And I, I just hope people can celebrate what he meant to people and just... Remember, the, remember the good stuff. Remember the good times, the good memories. And I'm sure there are a number of people in the music community that will appreciate what he was to them, and for the people that grew up around him, whether it's high school, fam, his his family, you know, any friends. You know, he's one of the few people I can truly call a friend. You know, and I, there's probably only a couple other friends. I think I would be hugely devastated if they were to pass away early. So, so Aaron Foster, I know that feeling your family's going through, and I wish them huge condolences. I hope you're, hope you're doing what you, what you did on the ground. I'm sure you're up there playing your music, maybe throwing some passes to some Green Bay Packer players, or maybe just hanging around Frank Costanza. (laughs) So, yeah. Rest in peace, buddy. You will be sorely missed. So, moving on. I was going to talk some movies. As we get into some stuff about Jackass 4. Now, there were some rumblings um, a while ago about uh, a Jackass movie coming out or being made. And the show turned 20 back in the fall. So, as far as the Jackass franchise goes, there's there's been four movies. They were... There was four released within an 11-year span from 2002 to 2013. Uh, the first three were just extensions of the TV show, performing stunts, dangerous activities around themselves, around the public. These movies each did better as far as commercial goes, commercialized success. And I don't know what prompted these guys to come back and do do Jackass 4. But it is going to come out. And it's going to come out in September. And that's going to be interesting because this is a movie that I'm not sure if people will really go back and fall for for Jackass as a whole. It and the, probably the different vibe that will be seen with it, but there already is some controversy a little bit, or 
least some huge issues at the moment regarding uh, so it's going to release in Singapore in, in September so I don't know if this will get a release in the United States I would think it would but knowing how the pandemic is right now I'm not sure but there's some stuff going on regarding uh regarding uh, Bam Margera. And it has something to do with, I guess, being being cut from the movie, I guess. I'm assuming they filmed this quite a while ago. And I don't know. It's just... I'm assuming... I'm, I'm assuming he's had a lot of issues over the last 10 years. It doesn't help that his, that his friend, Ryan Dunn, who had been a huge contributor to Jackass, was killed in a car accident, driving drunk. Killed another person, too. Um, just, I don't know how you, how he has to act like this, man. It's just, I don't know if he just has, like, mental issues... It's just there's just something not right with him. And I think he's, I think he's tried to get help, but it just seems like it's not working. And out of all the people that you think would have even bigger issues, and they could be someone like say a Steve O, or maybe like a Chris Pontius or anything like that, but uh, just. Whatever the case, uh, I think this, uh, I think this movie, I'm not sure if people will really, will go for it. I mean, the last thing Johnny Knoxville made, Action Park, even though it wasn't Jackass, that movie was a huge flop in theaters, and I saw that in the theater, and it wasn't, it wasn't great, but it wasn't bad either, so, I don't know, I'm curious to see where this goes critically and commercially, you know, stuff that gets brought back 10, 20 years later, you're not sure where critics will stand on it, you don't know the direction that it'll go, will it go for just a lot of pranks, will there be a story to it? I don't know. But there's some other stuff I'll talk about as well. Movies that turn 25. There's one a couple weeks ago. And one I'll talk about now with uh, Happy Gilmore. So Happy Gilmore came out right around this time in 96. And this was... This was Adam Sandler's second big movie following... Or actually, his first big movie following uh, following his departure from uh, Saturday Night Live, and it's to me Sandler's best movie. And the way I look at it, it it's a movie centered around Sandler's char- title character, a hockey player who finds out he has a a, a powerful golf swing, and 
this can help him save his grandmother's uh, repossessed house if he can come up with $270,000 within three months. Along the way, he has to deal with anger ever since losing his dad as a, uh, as a child. Has to contend with, with Shooter McGavin, the leading golf pro, and get help from, from Chubbs Peterson, uh, a man whose career was cut short due to a gal- alligator biting his hand off. I think what makes it work is that there's just so many funny scenes seen throughout it, and it, it's like it, like lines are quotable, like some physicality in certain scenes, especially when you get towards the mid-late part of the movie, when a heckler starts getting at Happy, and Happy is teamed up with Bob Barker. Now, there was something I saw uh, a while ago regarding that scene. This was on sites, I think, like Fox News, talking about this interview that Sandler did with someone, and that the scene, that scene was not originally going to have Bob Barker. Instead, the original intention was to get Ed McMahon on there, and to get into a fight with him, and Happy would be the winner. And I think it's, I think if some people are not aware, um, Bob Barker did not want to do this movie. <laughs> he really didn't. But when he found out, and be probably because Sandler couldn't get McMahon, Sandler wrote the movie along with his writing partner, uh, Tim Harley. They had to rewrite the fight, and they would write it that Barker would win. And when Barker found out he was going to win, he accepted it, and... <laughs> It is probably one of the most memorable scenes of of the movie. Uh, some some memorable scenes include the really just the last the last part of the movie, the tour championship, just the way Happy and Shooter are throughout it. The very quotable as well, you know, especially with stuff like the nursing home guy, uh, like you control me for a warm glass. I shut the hell up. And stuff like the, how about I go eat some hay? I can make things out of clay and lay by the bay. I just may. What do you say? That's That was actually kind of clever and funny at the same time when Happy almost gets into a fight with Shooter. And actually, that that guy, um, Christopher McDonald, who played uh, Shooter, he became like a villain for like a three, four year span. Like, there, was, there were people that wanted him in the comedies. Yeah. Eh. I mean, there's there's tons of funny stuff. Is it his best movie? It to people, I'm sure it isn't for some, but to me it is. And there was like a period I think where Sandler was pretty funny for the most part. He's not the funniest guy on the planet, but depending on his, the project he does, it. I mean, it can be pretty good or, or not. Like. I look at, you know, Billy Madison, uh, Happy Gilmore, Waterboy, Big Daddy as, like, his, like, really his best time, best, you know, his best films. Um, can't really say much with Wedding Singer, though I've seen bits and pieces. And after, like, Little Nicky, which is okay, has some funny stuff, 
that's where it's like the consistency isn't there. Like, I think like his best movie is uh, following that is like Anger Management. Other than that, I can't really say much with other stuff. I think Eight Crazy Nights was not good. Doesn't hold up. Uh, I would say Mr. Deeds is funny. I'm trying to think of like uh, Longest Yard. Eh, I could, I could take it or leave it. I think his worst movie though is that was that Jack and Jill movie that came out ten years ago. Horrible movie. Like really horrible. Like, I don't know who the hell thought that was a good idea. But. Can't say much regarding uh, regarding say Black Sheep for example, which turned uh, which turned twenty five a few weeks ago, and that is the uh, Chris Farley David Spade vehicle. It came out uh, almost a year after Tommy Boy, which the two did as well. Uh, so this movie is a political comedy. And this is something that I'll tie into with um, what's going on. And I'll actually go off topic to talk about the uh, Andrew Cuomo for a minute. So being in New York, you have to deal with shit. And one of that one of those things is Andrew Cuomo, governor of New York. So the way he's handled the pandemic, let's just say his reception hasn't been all that good within these... Uh, within these last couple of days, and especially with the reports that that they hid uh, the numbers of nursing home deaths. So I guess at some point, start of the year, it was around 8,500 8, senior citizens that passed away in nursing homes. And I believe there was a part somewhere in, in upstate New York that had like 97 ill and like 12 dead I believe and the numbers have gone to about 40 to 45 percent higher going from 8500 to 12,000 a little over 12,000 at at some point in January thanks to Attorney General Letitia James and now the number has gone up a little more to to about 15,000 and this really goes into uh, the the one of the top aides Melissa DeRosa admitting the numbers weren't good because they didn't want to get investigated by the Department of Justice so I don't know if Donald Trump had plans to do something with New York if if the numbers were getting much worse or something like that but this just this reeks of a lot of corruption, and it's gotten to the point where where even even Democrats are 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 not pleased with what Cuomo's done and the way he's handled the whole situation, and the fact that even like CNN, some of the CNN people had to discuss this, and some of them were not pleased with the exception of his idiot brother, Chris Cuomo. I have a feeling Chris don't want to say anything because he don't want to rip his brother. Otherwise, Andrew probably would not have him invited anywhere. I'm just guessing at this point. 
So I'm going to I'm going to stick a pin in that and go back to Black Sheep. So Black Sheep is a political comedy. It's centered around Farley's Mike Donnelly as um, as his brother Al is running to be governor of Washington. Now Mike is is a is a headache for Al, and he needs someone to keep an eye on him, make sure things go smoothly until the election is over. And he gets his help in the form of Steve Dodds, played by David Spade. And Spade wants, in exchange for helping for helping Al, a spot in his cabinet, in his cabinet, or like his group of people, like a big aide. And things, as expected, don't go smoothly. And especially as the the opponent and current governor, Governor Tracy, decides to make things worse. And it leads to some consequences throughout it. Uh, I'll probably leave some uh, spoilers. I'll give like a five second delay, so that way you can skip and I'll probably put it in the, into the description where to skip. So, five-second delay, even though it's dead air, now. Okay. So, it leads to consequences where there's illicit photos being made of Mike doing drugs and drinking with underage kids. It looks bad on Al's perspective, and Tracy wants to make things worse by burning down the recreation center that Mike worked at, and he gets fired from it, so when you try to look at it from an un, from like an altered point of view, it makes Mike look like a psycho. And doing other stuff like like embarrassing his brother in with when he goes on the Rock the Vote thing at MTV, uh, having to contend with certain things throughout the Garfield County and then the end of the movie when Tracy wins Mike gets suspicious because of the number of registered voters and finds out that that Tracy Tracy cheated by having some higher numbers and altering the numbers of registered voters and they get help from from a former soldier played by Gary Busey to stop Tracy. And Mike gets his gets his chance to show what happened and due in a couple of uh, the soldier Drake Savage's family being considered voters, even though they have been dead for a long time, voter fraud. It's saying that it could be the same all over the state. And so Mike helps get helps get his brother uh, the opportunity to uh, to win the win the vote and be governor of uh, of, of Washington state. Um, there probably will be some uh, other spoilers as well, but uh, that's the major spoilers that I'll talk about. There will still be some spoilers as I talk the comparison a little bit to Cuomo, 
So, another five-second delay now. Okay. So, the reason why I think I think this movie has a bit of relevancy now. It may not... It's not a... It's not as great as Tommy Boy, but it, as far as being a political comedy goes, I feel like it has some relevance now. I think this is a good comparison to have in, in regards to Cuomo. As crazy as it sounds, because when you think about it, when you fudge up numbers to make yourself look better, eventually it's going to come back to bite you. And that's what happened in the movie. Now, if... Now, if it was just like a like a hundred or so people, I don't think people would be too bothered. But when you when it goes up to over six thousand people and the huge increase to fifteen thousand altogether, something something isn't going well in uh, in Albany. Something isn't right, and I think. I don't know where things will go. Honestly, I, 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 there's a part of me that does think Cuomo will get away with, with doing this sort of stuff. But it's gotten bad to where, like, even this, like I said, like this, the Democrats in New York are like, "What? Why are you covering things up? Why are you trying?" And he's tried to defend himself and make himself look like a hero. A hero, after all, he wrote a book recently about leading New York, which honestly if to what is going on is true, that should be taken off, that should be taken out of publication. And I guess he got an Emmy as well for his press conferences and all. They should take that away as well. I'm sorry, but that that stuff should be revoked from him. And there's consideration of impeachment to remove him from from being governor and getting rid of his powers. I think it's just, I think he said something also like of trying, they could strip his powers anytime they want. He has no idea why they haven't. Well, the way he's handled, the way he supposedly handled things, why why should they interfere if they think he's doing that good of a job? And it, honestly, I think similar to Black Sheep, there's, there probably is more to it than just the nursing home deaths. Maybe there's a lot more deaths that we don't realize. That we don't hugely realize. I mean, if that's if that's one of the small numbers, who knows what other numbers might be hidden? Who knows if they're saying that there's some people that passed away and they didn't mention those at all in their reports I just think I just, I think something's I think something's up and honestly there's going to be a lot of hell for Cuomo I think there's going to be a lot of hell now I, I do think he needs to be brought to I do think there is a point where he does need to be brought to justice if if there's more to it, and I don't know, just we need to get rid. We need to get rid of people like this. There's, and especially with the way New York is right now, with how bad of a state it is in terms of taxes, 
in terms of everything being so expensive. You know, you wonder why people can't afford to even get some of the most basic stuff. I mean, it's, just, it's become impossible to to live in New York State. You're better off going to another state, unfortunately, where, where you're not getting taxed to oblivion. You're not getting ripped off on food prices, on gas prices, housing. And just, it's sad because, I mean, I'm sure at some point New York used to be such a great state and it just has dwindled down so badly. It's unfortunate, but that's the comparison that I could think of, Black Sheep. And with that movie, it's not a bad movie. It's just, I I think Tommy Boy's better. Actually, was talking about movies in, in television. It just, it dawned on my younger brother that that with watching uh, MTV2 that they have these messed up air times for for their shows it, for any of the reruns of shows that they've that they have like he was watching Reno 911 and it was a 35 minute air time that that bothered him a little bit and you know he didn't, he didn't get super pissed about it, but, you know, this is something that I can remember for a long time. And this is a product of Viacom thinking commercials are their main way of getting money. So they create these fucked up uh, time slots to where they to where they get five minutes of commercials lickety split and think that that's their way, that they can get their money via people watching the commercials. And I don't think they realize uh, this isn't <clears throat> this isn't the '90s where people can just change the station and they can't. Well, let me let me rephrase it. They think they can't change the station or anything like that. No, they can change the station. They, there's multiple channels. You, there's hundreds of channels on TV. They can find something to watch. And they'll time it to where five minutes later, they'll go back to the network. And I remember this from like ten years ago. I remember this with Comedy Central. And that was like the beginning of that. It was it was Comedy Central, and then it was uh, I think like BET and like MTV a little bit as well, <clears throat> where their time slots like I remember this for like a long time for like a couple of years. Uh, they would have these time slots, like you had like an episode for like thirty five minutes, and then an episode for like thirty seven or like thirty one, forty two. Like, I remember them doing that for a long time. And they still kind of do it now with their reruns of The Office. And maybe South Park a little bit, too. No, they're not like that with movies anymore. I know they're not... I know they don't do that as much with the movies. 
but the way they do the movies on stuff like BET, Paramount Network, they ha- they have these movies on for a lot longer than 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 people realize, and that is their way of trying to get commercial extra commercials put in there. And I remember this about five years ago, right around this time, actually, when MTV was airing the first Jackass movie. Now, it's not a long movie by any means. I think it's like an hour 20, hour 25. Actually, another movie I would like to see if they do alterings with, uh, not MTV, if they do like alterations to Toy Story on Freeform... That's a very short movie. That's like an hour 15. Minus the credits, of course. Um, about an hour 15. Maybe it's like the perfect like time to have the five minutes of commercials, I guess. But going back to, but going back to MTV, uh, with Jackass, uh, they had, within like a half hour span, a seven minute stint of commercials and and an 8 minute stint of commercials and it's like really that's how long you're going with these commercials and I remember them doing that for a short while and I don't think people were pleased with that I remember, remember Freeform doing that around the same time like a couple months after that with like Jungle Book and like several other uh, several other movies uh, that that were on there. I think like several other other Disney Disney films, uh, which uh, I mean they're not I mean they're not lengthy either as well. But uh, I don't know if Disney was just trying to capitalize on what Viacom was doing or anything of that matter. But I I, I don't know. It's I mean it's a good thing. They haven't. They do it with some of their movies a little bit. What whatever they have on, they'll give like an extra, say, five minutes, ten minutes. So they're not. It's still bad, but they're not as bad compared to to Viacom channels. And Viacom channels can actually get pretty bad as well. Beyond just Comedy Central, I know they do like messed up time slots when they have like two and a half men on like TV Land. They'll do that for like Martin and various movies they have on BT. It's it, it really is sad how they handle it. I mean, cable is a whole different animal now compared to where it was ten years ago. And I'm not sure if this kind of template will work for Viacom and down. You know, maybe it's it still works for them, but at some point, uh, it. It's going to bite them, and I don't know if just the way viewership is now these days, if they'll find some other way to get revenue. It's hard to tell. So, that's my little thing with TV. So, talking sports a tiny bit, actually. So, not much really to, not much really to, to discuss, uh, bunch of like trades trade rumors regarding like Russell Wilson and whether like Jimmy Garoppolo will go to like Houston in exchange for Deshaun Watson going to San Francisco. Uh, 
Man, I, mean, I know people are desperate, but uh, supposedly, like, there was like a trade idea of like Wilson going to the Jets. That is a terrible idea. What does Seattle gain from trading Wilson? What do they gain from it? And Wilson has been what has been in the league for nine seasons. So he's one of the longer tenured quarterbacks behind Matt Hasselbeck and uh, and Dave Krieg. Krieg spent twelve his first twelve years in the league with the Seahawks, and Hasselbeck was with the team for about 11 years. I believe he was part of the uh, Packers for a couple of years before going to to Seattle in 2000. And Wilson has broken a lot of the records that, that Hasselbeck and Creek had. What do they gain out of it? They don't have a lot of leadership in terms of quarterbacks either. And their offense is a little little leaky too what do they gain out of it and I know know Pete Carroll had some struggles at quarterback his first two years as the Seahawks coach but whether this would give him get him fired or or not if this were to go on like, like getting rid of him I think a lot of fans would be upset as well. I think this would be a bad, a bad move in terms, of, from a fan perspective, and I'd say even a league perspective. Now the Jets, I mean, they have a guy like Sam Darnold. I mean, could they get rid of him? He has. I mean, the guy has potential, but if he lands with another team, he could, he could do, he could do much better than where he is with the Jets. And actually, the big thing with Houston, what do they do? Because they also got rid of, uh, well, actually not got rid of, they agreed to part ways with J.J. Watt. So that'll be one of the most interesting uh, free agent signings. The question is, where? I think a lot of people think he'll go to the Packers. Yeah, I could see it a little bit. I mean, he's from Wisconsin. Could he join his brother? Uh, could he join his brothers, actually? TJ, who is a linebacker for the Steelers, and Derek is on that team as well as a fullback, I believe. Three brothers on one team. I mean, I know there's brothers. Uh, there's two brothers on certain teams. But nothing will ever be, I think, the baseball of... Uh, Ken Griffey Jr. playing with his father and both of them hitting a home run in the same game way back in uh, 1990. But there's there's a, there's potential landing spots with, for various teams. It's just a question of the money, like the, like the contract he would get, and maybe who needs him the most. Or that last push to get a team that has a good contender be a Super Bowl winning team. So 
So in the wake of that, so where could Watson be traded? I mean, it could happen. It, but it's like, who, it all has to do with like contracts and like, like guaranteed money and really what is your roster like on that team? Like imagine like if Watson were to go to the Rams in, in the theoretical scenario, imagine throwing to Cooper Cup and uh, Robert Woods. But now, it's but looking at it now, I mean Matthew Stafford will have a lot of success with that. Or how about say Watson goes to where? I mean, where else could you really go? I'm trying to think of teams that would greatly benefit. I mean, San Francisco potentially. You got a great tight end in George Kittle, and the run and the running backs have some great use in the passing game. You throw it off, dump it to say Tevin Coleman, for example. I mean, Coleman is a is a good receiving back. I think. Um, I mean, heck, why not put Russell Wilson in a uh, Texan uniform <laughs> in exchange for Watson? Watson could throw to DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett. You know, if they have a healthy tight end, I mean, they'll do fine with it. And the run game is actually decent in uh, Seattle. It's just a matter of health, and if they can stop, if they can stop fumbling the ball as well, they gotta play real well. Not uh, not much else with other sports. Um, supposedly NBA ratings are getting a little higher, but it's not a huge increase. With the NFL being done for the for the year until until September, it'll be interesting to see where uh, the NBA goes as far as primetime television ratings, especially when it comes to TNT and ESPN. I'm not sure if they'll get back what they hope is their pre pre 2019 audience especially in the wake of controversies involving uh, involving the Houston Rockets, the obvious social justice stuff that the league tried shoving down everyone's throats last summer, and all this equality stuff that the players tried to implement, and obviously that failed. I think for the most part, the ball is in Adam Silver's court. He has to make those tough decisions, even if it means angering players. But if he wants his money, he's going to have to to do a lot to imp- to get the to get audiences back. He's going to have to do a whole lot to get audiences back. Now, for audiences in baseball, they are some places are opening up to allow fans into some of these baseball stadiums, but limited capacity, of course. So that'll alleviate, I guess, some of the bleeding that the that the owners are... It alleviates some of the bleeding the owners have to sustain with uh, no fans. And that, obviously, that hurt throughout the 60-game season last year. 
one of the more interesting uh, things that I saw was uh, the Andrew Benatendi trade, him going to uh, Kansas City. They got themselves a decent infield outfielder. Man, what's going on with Boston? Really, I mean, no Mookie bets last year. You get rid of Ben Nintendi, who I think was one of their better guys. Now you're left with Jackie Bradley Jr., and that guy could potentially get traded as well. That that trio was there a little more than two years ago when they won the World Series. Betts, Betts has done some damage with the Dodgers, won a championship. And Ben Nintendi... I don't know, maybe he gets some benefits of playing against some uh, weaker teams in the uh, Central. Detroit ain't really all that good. Uh, Chicago has the potential to be good. But it's just a matter of how well the team can play together. What else? Uh, Minnesota, always a dangerous team. Cleveland, could be a rebuilding year. Could be a huge rebuilding here. Although they did fine last year, making their way to the playoffs. With some really good starters. They got some decent bats. And as far as ending sports, talking about the Daytona 500. I'll actually talk a tiny bit um, regarding one other event of Daytona. So this year's Daytona 500 ended way early in the morning. The lengthy five-hour delay due to rain. And it resulted in a first-time winner in Michael McDowell. And this is something that has occurred exactly in the decade ending in one. 2021, Michael McDowell. 2011, Trevor Bain. And 2001, Michael Waltrip. And the result of uh, McDowell's finish came with tons of crashed cars on the last lap. Some pretty aggressive driving, and there was some aggressive driving looking at the highlights of that race. Just all striving to get playoff points, all striving to want to win the great American race. Aggressive driving on McDowell and Brad Keselowski. Little little tap on uh, Joey Logano from Keselowski results in quite a bit of cars getting knocked out, and McDowell making his way to the finish line. Chase Elliott second, Austin Dillon third, uh, Kevin Harvick fourth, and Denny Hamlin fifth. Hamlin and Harvick were two of the were two of the lead cars that had some pretty good had a pretty good night up until late in the race. Some rough goings the last couple of years as far as like drivers like the way those the way that last lap crash was man they took some heavy hits especially like the Kyle Kyle Busch's car and like Ross Chastain like plenty of sparks and flames oh my seriously and that was I mean. I mean, thankfully, no one was hurt compared to what happened last year with Ryan Newman, but still, not not a pleasant thing to talk about either. So, first time winner in McDowell. I mean, it's 
nice to see some of these guys get get a win. It might be his only one, though. But, hey, at least he did it. He did something others... He did something others can't say they have. And to do that in Daytona, that's a special treat. And I said about the... uh, about the wall trip one with his first win being in 01 a couple days from now it'll mark 20 years since the death of Dale Earnhardt and it while he wasn't the guy that changed the way NASCAR instituted protection it was definitely one of the guys that definitely led the way as far as as far as like NASCAR needing to find ways to make sure these drivers don't suffer from basilar skull fractures, which have been some of the leading causes of death at points for a number of NASCAR drivers over the years. You have to go. I'm thinking like ninety, like ninety four. You see it, see that happen with Neil Bonnet, one of Earnhardt's closest friends, who was killed in Daytona, had like a vehicle issue. Uh, really not much else. Um, they, they almost had another one with uh, Ernie Irvin in Michigan. He was leading in points that year, and unfortunately, a practice run that went awry, and Irvin was fighting for his life. And he was able to come back and, and race another three years or so. And the irony out of all that is... Uh, 97 Father's Day he races Michigan and wins that race at Michigan so I'm sure that has a bit of special feeling for uh, for him and for you know his family to be able to conquer what nearly took his own life a few years prior but then you start seeing some of these deaths occur in 2000 two of which were at uh at New Hampshire and promising young young drivers. The first one being Adam Petty from having like a I think it was like a brake issue or something. The car wouldn't the car wouldn't move or something like that, and he wound up hitting hitting the wall head on. Bassler skull fracture died, and I forget what happened with Kenny Irwin, but I believe like a similar type of thing something went wrong with the car and and it just resulted in him crashing and I believe it was also a bachelor skull fracture and I believe that's where it got to that's where it got to the point where where these drivers start having a, a bit of concern what What's what's going to happen to us? What happens if this if if this keeps happening? You know, it's it's very very unfortunate that we keep seeing this happen. I mean, just look. I mean, looking at some of these. Uh, I mean, look at some of this stuff. I mean, very very. Very unfortunate. Trying to trying to look for uh, trying to look for Adam Petty a little bit. See if they had something f- with him on there. 
yeah, practice session. Yeah, these were practice sessions. And uh, Tony Roper, same thing. Uh, in the truck series, that was like one of the bigger ones. Uh, I'm trying to find the one that... I forget the guy, but this was long after... Uh, this was long after uh, after Earnhardt's death. That because of that, I think it was like an Arca thing that occurred. I think it led to NASCAR fully mandating um, a Hans device, head and neck strain. And the way it was, it would make sure that that nothing bad would happen to their head and neck, and guys like Jack Roush were trying to uh, ensure the safety of of their drivers. And I'm sure you think of you know Jack Roush. I mean, he had a rookie, Matt Kenseth, in 2000. Mark Martin was was one of his best drivers, and start getting other guys like Kurt Busch, for example. I mean, wouldn't you want to do whatever you can to protect him? I, I do think Martin did not like the device, but at the same time, I think there was like issues of like how will they get out of it? Like, what would happen if there was like a fire? And some people were kind of against it. And even though Earnhardt in the 01 Daytona 500 died from the Bassler skull fracture, you know, they weren't. I mean, they 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 wanted to protect, but they weren't making a huge mandate. But then people were starting to use it. What was the death that led to the? I gotta find that the Hans device. Because after a, a crash in uh, late in the year, in uh, in two thousand, it was like like December, not December, October. Head and neck support. Okay. I thought it was head and neck strain. Where is it? Where the heck is it? Where is it? Yeah, it's just... It, it, it's sad. It really is sad. Let's see where... Where is it? Yeah, Blaze Alexander in October, and yeah, it was Arca race, like like I thought. It just, and after that, uh, NASCAR mandated the use of it. Formula One uses it as well, and unfortunately, and unfortunately for, uh, unfortunately for uh, Formula One. They still have issues when people pass away, and because it's like open wheel stuff, and it's I mean, I mean driving driving an, an automobile like that for NASCAR Formula One, I mean it's dangerous, and the drivers know that. But it's I would say it's even more dangerous of how open it is to getting hit by tires or debris. I mean when you're going 180 to 200 and that hits you. I mean, we're not talking like a scrape or anything. Like that. that could cause a lot of damage. So, I mean, it's still sad to see when some Formula One people pass away. 
But since Earnhardt's death, I mean, they've, they've, there hasn't been a fatality, thank goodness. And last year, I mean, there could have been one with Newman, with, with how bad that crash happened. Oh, my God. Sends, sends shivers down my spine. No joke. But yeah, it's great to see NASCAR be for protection. And the last 20 years have proven to be very, very successful. So lastly, talk talk some video games. Talk uh, talk the Simpsons. So over the last 30 years, there have been a number of uh, Simpson games. It began with uh, the original NES way back in uh, early 1991, and the first game released was Bart vs. the Space Mutants. You have to remember back in the uh, in the early 90s, Bart was the leading character for the show. And the character led the way in terms of controversy, revenue from merchandise, so why not a video game? It centered around aliens wanting to build a weapon to take over Earth, and why not go to Springfield? Only Bart can see them, and it's up to him to go through five levels to to stop these aliens and to make sure Earth is saved. Uh, definitely be talking... Uh, Talking a few video games uh, based on the series, it's it's okay. I mean, it's not anything to really write home about. It does its job. It it's more than just a basic platformer. You're achieving objectives. You're completing goals to make sure the aliens don't get their their ingredient. You fight bosses. You you collect coins. You pl- you use them to buy things, collect extra lives, uh, x-ray glasses to show to show letters of uh, various Simpson members who can help you out during boss fights. Uh, controls are not exactly the greatest to get into, especially since the jump and run button are assigned to the same one, so meaning you have to jump. If you have to hold the button, you will be jumping first. And using a button to uh, you know use stuff like fire a dart gun, use a sp- use spray paint. Um, Audio is okay, nothing too special, but it's not a bad game. I- I've played I've played worse. There's worse licensed games for the NES and for that era as well. Uh, not too long after that came the arcade version, ar- the arcade game from uh, Konami. Uh, one of the most overrated arcade games ever. Great use of license, despite being de- being in development a couple months after the show debuted. Uh, graphics are they're pretty nice to see. Unique music throughout each of the levels. However, the gameplay is very cookie cutter, very much relying on huge artificial difficulty and cheapness to get people to spend extra quarters. But but four-player does help a little bit, though you don't get health pickups or your health doesn't get replenished after you beat a level. The point system, not all that great. Overly repetitive, 
though there are some interesting combos when you play with multiple people. Uh, not a bad game, but holy crap, it's overrated. Probably one of the most overrated games of all time. And there were so many other games that were coming out later on in 91, 92, that I, I, mean, I can't really say much with the uh, Game Boy games or the Game Gear stuff. Uh, Bart vs. Speedsman's on Game Gear, eh, not all that great, and it's a struggle to play with the, with the Game Gear buttons. Especially considering you have to use three buttons and not four. Did play the Genesis version on uh, emulator, and it's okay. Um, a little more difficult, actually, compared to uh, the NES version. The NES version is not easy, but it's not un—it's unf- not completely unfair either. Some questionable designs here and there, but eh, there's some there's some secrets that if you could discover them, it'll make your job a lot easier. Uh, Bart vs. the World came out at the end of 91, so another NES game. Plays okay, I mean, at least it, it tries to change things up with how you do things, and c- controls are a little better. There's some mini-games you can try. I believe it has a password system, so there's some there's some good things to talk about. Uh, level design, not all that great, it does rely on some leaps of faith here and there, but otherwise, uh, I I would take Space Mutants over it. But not a horrible game either. Crusty's uh, Funhouse or Super Funhouse. I actually like this game. It's 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 it was released on just about everything at that time. Every Nintendo system, every Sega system. I believe it was on several computers. And I like the idea. It's it. It has some interesting puzzle elements to it, as you try to guide guide mice into machines and members of Krusty's crew and several Simpson members eradicate them. Oh well. Uh, Bart's Nightmare, uh, first first original 16-bit game, came out for Super NES first in the in late '92. Came out for Genesis a little while later. In '93, I like the concept of it. It's got nice graphics. Uh, I like the audio. I like the audio to it. I like the varied mini games. Most of them are pretty fun to get into. Uh, a little tough, I would say, but you just gotta have some patience. Gotta have some huge patience when going through it. Uh, what's the next? Uh, what was the Virtual Bart? Uh, tries to capitalize on what uh, Bart's Nightmare did. Eh, not as not as good, but it. I like the varied stuff. The I like I like I like the like the the, the apocalypse motorbike thing. Uh, the uh, water slide thing could be a little better. Not not a whole lot. I mean, there's some the tomato game is actually pretty fun to do, as long as you don't hit Principal Skinner, unless he's uh, tying his shoe. That's a nice reference to I think the episode was called Duffless, where Bart throws a huge tomato at uh, Skinner's ass. (laughs) Nice touch. (laughs) Uh, Not a whole lot else really to say. Uh, 
Never played uh, the Itchy and Scratchy game. Never played most of the Game Boy lineup of uh, games, of Simpson games. Never played the Treehouse of Horror game. Uh, the Simpsons Bowling for the arcade, uh, not, a bad, not a bad game. I actually enjoyed it for what it was way back in the 2000s. Could actually cool that's some cool stuff that would occur if you got like three strikes in a row. I don't think you could ever get a perfect game in it though. I'll be surprised if someone does, especially with the power ups that they give you for when you do three strikes in a row. Then you get to where the writers, where the Simpson crew actually is involved with with the games. Uh, Road Rage, which is a fun game, uh, it's a ta- it's a crazy taxi knockoff, and there are some subtle differences, but otherwise, it's basically Crazy Taxi, but with the Simpsons. Simpsons got a lot of fun stuff here and there. Got some, got a little bit of meat to it with some of the side content, some unlockables and vehicles. Like, like it, it does enough to stand out despite the gameplay knockoff. Played on, played the original Xbox version, pretty good. And the Game Boy Advance version is actually not bad either. It's the Mode Seven will definitely turn you off a little bit just because of the way the map is, and you're not sure where the boundaries are when uh, when driving. But still, it's commendable for what they did. Uh, skateboarding, never played it. Uh, actually, the original PlayStation game that had the wrestling, never played it. Heard it's really bad. Uh, Hit and Run, I think, is the best Simpson game of the bunch. It's basically Grand Theft Auto, but with the Simpsons. You can do you can do whatever you want driving throughout, as long as you don't fill up your your wanted meter to where it when it fills up all the way, the cops come after you. Collect coins, find collectibles, collectors cards, complete missions. Which are just point A to point B stuff, destroy stuff. The 3D graphics for for this game are are pretty good. Reminds me a bit of a Treehouse of Horror segment that they did way back in the mid 90s. Only better. Funny, fun audio that works well with each character's theme. It's got multiplayer for like mini mini races, like against you know. Four others. Uh, I mean, just a lot of fun to be had with this game. Probably the best game of the Simpsons games. And then we move on to the last one, the Simpsons game. Uh, it's just basically a parody of video games in general. It's got graphics that are that are like the show, cutscenes that basically animated by by the production team, written by the Written by the Simpson crew, fully fully voiced. It's just fun, lots of collectibles to find, and neat parodies that you wouldn't think would occur. You even get to fight Matt Groening, the creator of the show. <laughs> uh, definitely has its issues. Yeah, you know, the controls could be a little better on on some of the characters. Some of the power ups could have been a little better for the superpowers to be exact some of the goals are a little tough to achieve but nothing unfair you definitely will need a strategy guide 
to find some of the tougher uh, collectibles. Well, that I means it's it's close, but doesn't top hit and run. Uh, there is a mobile game that did come out, but can't really say too much about it since I never played it. There was a flash game someone did uh, where you collect uh, Duff beer and put it in Homer's car, and if you hit a flaming one, you you were killed instantly. <laughs> That was actually one of the Flash games I remember playing uh, long ago. It was, a, it was a bit of fun. Although you had to really maneuver to to avoid the 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 keg the keg of beers that were on fire. That's at least from what I remember. So yeah, those are just some of my thoughts with uh, the Simpsons. Simpsons games. A while ago, uh, Duke Nukem 3D turned uh, 25. And it's an interesting first-person shooter because it 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 basically is similar to uh, in terms of playing like like Heretic, uh, Doom, and several other games. But a lot of it had to do with uh, with with the voices of Duke. You didn't really hear anything like this back in the mid '90s, and I think that's what made it such a huge hit. Was all the stuff that that Duke said, and just this wannabe action hero that was ripping off, you know, they live in uh, various other action heroes like Schwarzenegger, Sylvester Stallone, Bruce Willis, especially as you saw other games in the series. And I'll definitely be talking about the first game probably sometime down the road in the summer because the game that game turns 30 the franchise turns 30 but in terms of success this is what made the franchise blow up in such a huge way it was 3D Realms' like major hit after they f- stopped being called Apogee and they focused on bringing 3D content to people because that was the way of the future but i mean it's got some interesting mechanics you got a jetpack you got stuff you can carry with you some cool weapons to use like a freezer like a freeze thrower uh, chain gun cannon RPG shotgun like it's just extra content has been made over the years especially uh, when they did the an extra episode for the 20th anniversary of the game yeah the, the, the content is questionable some risque stuff some sexual themes, the violence, obviously. But the thing is, you're not really killing... You're not killing humans, you're killing aliens. Although the blood and gore might be a little bit squeamish to some people. Uh, it was ported to the major consoles at the time. PlayStation, Sega Saturn, N64. A couple games made. And actually, you know, another game in the series that has a anniversary is Forever in... Uh, in uh, in June, actually, I, if I actually you know if I repeated talking about Duke Nukem, I'm sorry, but you know it's just I, f- I feel like I forget sometimes about certain games, and sometimes if I if I feel like I repeated myself, I'm sorry. But yeah, I just talk about Duke Nukem because I feel like I haven't talked about it, and if I have, I'm sorry. Um, but I haven't talked about Street Fighter 2 turning 30. Now, Street Fighter 
began in 1987, and it wasn't really that huge of a hit. It did okay, but the way the mechanics were and the fighting system, it was just archaic, and no one could really get into it. But what helps this game is that it was balanced out to be a competitive fighter, and it was one of the main reasons why arcades stayed relevant for a a little more than when it was intended to start dying off. People people were getting more around uh, playing arcade games at home because the the consoles of the of the day were starting to get closer to being identical, although that it would still take quite a bit of years to achieve arcade perfection. But thanks to stuff like Street Fighter 2, you had companies scrambling to make the next popular fighter because it had move sets for these for these characters. You had graphics that impressed people, you know, good sound direction, uh just just true competition in the arcades. You weren't seeing that at that point. You know, I mean there were some sports games, but otherwise uh Street Fighter really got people to see if who could who could beat each other the best. Led to a number of other franchises like King of Fighters, Mortal Kombat, uh, what else? Uh, Art of Fighting, Fatal Fury, Soul Calibur, Soul Blade, uh, Capcom making so many fighters. Uh, you had Namco doing 3D with Tekken a few years later. You had... Uh, what was the the all the Marvel stuff that that Capcom made Street Fighter Alpha like fighting games had a lot of huge success in the 90s a lot of success and there aren't many that are still around but still I mean you can't you can't deny what what was going on and uh, I've played a few Street Fighter 2 ports uh, Super Nintendo pretty good Although I would say it's not completely arcade accurate, eh, just a couple small things that, that I noticed. Um, played the Genesis Street Fighter II Champion Edition, plays pretty well. Nothing too major to complain about outside of like the audio and the uh, voices, but it controls well with a six-button controller. Really, really does. And. Uh, yeah, not much else. I'm not really a big fighting game fan, but you have to know its importance in history. So that'll wrap up episode 63 of Geeks and Jocks. So this podcast is on Anchor.fm, and also mention it is on Spotify, Radio Public, Google Podcasts, and Breaker. Whew. Another doozy, almost an hour and a half. So this is Ryan Sullivan for Geeks and Jocks. Hope to hear your listeners on the next podcast. Stay safe, stay protected, stay healthy. Take care, everyone.